Good morning. You ready to rock and roll this morning? Spiritually. Stand with me then, please. Let's engage the Lord. It's always a good thing whether you're reading in private, beside your bed, or in your bed, on the floor, at your kitchen table, to engage with the Holy Spirit about His Word. The Holy Spirit is the one who breathed this word, and he's the one who can breathe its life into us and change us. We're not here to play, right? We're not playing church today. We're here to encounter the Lord. Who wants to encounter Jesus in his word? Okay, lift your hands. Let's tell him, Lord, we want to encounter you this morning. And so we engage with you, Holy Spirit. You are the teacher of the church. You are the revealer of Jesus. And we pray that this day, this morning, you would reveal him to us in deeper ways. And that you would mark us by your word. And that we would not be the same. But that our hearts would be shifted even a little bit towards you. And that our hearts would be more tender. And that the revelation of who you are would grip us more deeply. Thank you for the privilege of gathering in your name together and of allowing your Holy Spirit to speak your word into us. So grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So I'm going to talk about one of the big three this morning. It, It might be number one. Most awkward subject, um, most guilt-laden subject in the church, and it's fasting. I want to talk about Christian fasting and what it is, and hopefully unpack some of that and take some of that off, and help us to see the beauty and the invitation of what fasting is for Christians. I'm sure you know most of the world's major religions fast, right? Right? Judaism, they fast. What? Here's your trivia question for the morning. What is the only commanded fast in the Old Testament? Anybody know? There's one fast that's commanded of every Jewish person in the Old Testament. Okay. Well, you were, you were mouthing something, so I thought you were... <laughs> okay, it's not a trick question. It's Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. Everyone fasts on the Day of Atonement as mourning for sin, recognizing that God takes away their sin. Islam has fast. What's it called? Okay, you knew the Islamic fast, but you didn't know the Jewish. What's up with that? Okay, yeah, Ramadan. The Hindus fast. They have what they call a severe fast of the Brahmins, the highest caste in Hinduism. Um... Even secular humanists fast. Did you know there's secular groups that they fast? And why do they fast? They fast for health and they fast for body image. It's kind of a radical way of dieting. And so even secular humanists have fast. So here's the question. What is Christian fasting? What's the difference between Christian fasting, Jewish fasting, Hindu fasting, Islamic fasting, secular fasting? What's the difference? And how do we see it and take hold of its beauty and its power? Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to use this as our text. But you almost went there. You went to the parallel passage in Luke chapter 5. But 
Matthew chapter 9, this may be the most important passage of Scripture in all the New Testament on fasting. Because it gives us an understanding of what is unique about Christian fasting. Apart from all of the other fasts that happen in the world, Christian fasting is unique. I love this passage. Jesus has a way of blowing things up wherever he goes. How many notice that when you read the Bible? Lots of times when I read it, I just laugh out loud. I'm like, you did not just say that in public. But he did. Because he's going after the heart. He offends the mind sometimes to get down to the issues of the heart. And I praise him for that. How many have ever had your mind offended by the Lord? Oh, yeah. Lots of times. So, here we go again. Um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. We're going to read 14 through 17 and talk about what Christian fasting is all about. Then the disciples of John came to him asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So this is a pretty unusual team building going on here. The disciples of John, the Baptist, and the Pharisees now are on the same team. And they're irritated with Jesus. And they go up to him and say, how come we fast? In Luke's passage of chapter 5, he says, why do we fast often? They fast a lot. So the Pharisees fasted how many times a week? How many days a week? Two days. Pharisees and their disciples fasted two days a week. Probably John's disciples followed that pattern as well, fasting two days a week. So they're like, they've never seen Jesus' disciples fasting. And they're irritated because they're like, dude, are you guys dedicated to God or what? If you really were dedicated to God, you would be fasting. We're here fasting. You're in there feasting with the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Why don't your disciples fast? So Jesus takes the opportunity to point out to them what they didn't know yet, but we're going to find out. And Jesus said, verse 15, to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? So notice the word mourn. Pharisee fasting, disciple of John fasting, most religious fasting of the day was more colored by and it had the flavor of mourning. Remember, you know, in chapter 6, Jesus said, when you fast, don't have that pained look on your face. Like, oh, I'm so dedicated. I'm not eating today. All I've had is a smoothie with chocolate chips and coconut flakes. That's all I've had. I've only had two. I had one for breakfast and one for lunch. I'm so hungry. This is so hard, so dedicated. Jesus said, don't, don't, don't do that. Um, is it really about God or is it about you? And, and the issue is, and not only, I mean, church history is, is filled with this too, and I love revival history, and I've studied it for a long time, decades, and fasting plays a prominent role in that. But one thing that you see is that it gets tipped over into Self-righteousness very easily. Oh, I'm more dedicated than you. Oh, you, you, didn't, you, you don't fast two days. Oh. It's okay. If, 
if you want to know how to get closer to God, just ask me. That's easy to do when you don't realize. Here, can I just say something up front, and I, I hope to, to show you this. Going without food in itself does not produce the power of God in your life. Does not. That's not what the purpose of fasting is. Oh, if you just don't eat now, all of a sudden, miracles are going to pop out of your hands everywhere you go. That's not true. You're quiet because you guys think that. That's not true. Us abstaining from food doesn't make God show up in power and do things. I like it. I, I like the look on your face. Because, see, for me, the thing is, I want you to do the wrestle. Because when we wrestle with Scripture and we own it for ourselves, it has power in our life and it marks us. If I just spit something in your head and you spit it back out, no power there. But if you wrestle through it with the Lord and go, Lord, what is this all about? Then it marks you and then you have power to share it. So let's wrestle. How about that? Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Can they? But the days will come. When the bridegroom is taken away from them. And that phrase, taken away, has the idea of violently snatched away. When did that happen? Right? Isaiah 53. He was taken away from it. When he was crucified, he was taken away from them. So he wasn't physically present anymore. Then, like Brandon pointed out this morning, then they're going to fast. But what is the issue? Notice the bridegroom. The attendants of the bridegroom are those in the wedding party, right? They're there. They can't mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. They're getting ready to have a marriage. So the Messiah shows up in Israel. He's preaching the kingdom of God. He's demonstrating that the kingdom is come in part, not in full. The fulfillment is coming later. But he says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that phrase there means, it's arrived. They tasted the kingdom. He said to the Pharisees, you look here and there and think the kingdom is here or there. The kingdom is in your midst right now. Ta-da. You're, you're missing it. You're looking for all these other signs, but here I am, the kingdom, because I'm the king. And wherever my reign is extended, my kingdom goes. And so when I cast out demons and I dethrone the devil, my kingdom is coming. And when I'm received and embraced and loved and treasured, the kingdom is coming. The bridegroom is here, but the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast. Notice how this flows right together. And in every passage, in Mark, in Luke, in Matthew, these verses are right after his talk about fasting. Because he's making a point here. No one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear results. So when you put a new piece of cloth on an old clothes to patch it, what happens when you wash that new piece of clothing? It shrinks. 
and then it tears the garment more. He goes, you don't do that. So what's his point? These things can't go together. You can't mix the old with the new. So the old way, here's his point. He's going to make it. The old way of fasting that you guys are used to is not going to work with the new kingdom that's coming. It's not going to work. Okay, verse 17. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskins burst. Why is that? Because the old wineskins, what are wineskins made out of? Yeah, they're made out of skins. They're made out of sheep or goats, skins. They usually would leave, they would sew up the open parts, except probably leave the neck open, pour the wine into that. And when you pour new wine in there and it's fermenting, what happens? Lots of bubbles. And it expands the wineskin, but when it's new, it stretches, right? If you have a wineskin that's already stretched out and you put new wine into it, the pressure tears it, and then everything's lost. The wine and the wineskin are both ruined. That's what he says. The wine pours out, the wineskins are ruined, but they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. So there's a new model, Jesus' point. There's a new model for fasting that I'm bringing in, in my kingdom. Jesus shifts the issue of fasting from outward dedication and self-denial to delight in the presence of the bridegroom. He's saying this isn't about your self-discipline producing something. This is about relationship with me. That's what this is. That's what fasting is going to be about from now on in my kingdom. It's going to be about the bridegroom's presence. If he's not with me, if we're apart from the Lord, then there's a longing that draws me there, and fasting is the vehicle that connects me to the bridegroom. I'm going to read a quote from Daryl Bach, who is one of my favorite scholars, and I use him for weightiness because I don't have that kind of gravitas on my scholarship at all, but he does. He says, what the key... Uh, what is the key about the change of perspective is that it all turns on Jesus' presence. He is the issue that defines the practice of fasting. So important. So much fasting in revival history is about doing the thing so that God's power will come and do it. And I'm not saying that there isn't a connection, but it's not a direct connection. We didn't earn it. We're not meriting something. When we fast, we're not trying to get God's favor because we're beating ourselves. We're not like the desert fathers who go out there and bury ourselves in the desert up to our necks next to an anthill. Like, we don't do that. That doesn't gain merit. It's from grace. The entire New Testament model is that grace is freely given by God. The issue with fasting is that it helps us to connect with the person who is the fullness of all of the grace of God. That's the point. Because we get distracted. Anybody get distracted? Do you know the things that separate us from God or that threaten to separate us from God are mostly not poisonous, sinful things? They're mostly... God's good gifts to us. And we value those more than the Lord himself sometimes. Let me give you an example or two. Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells a parable of the kingdom coming, and a man is going to give a feast. And he sends his slave out to announce in the streets and in the community, hey, come to the feast that my master is preparing. 
And one after one, they make excuses. They don't say, no, I'm not coming because I'm addicted to drugs. Or, no, I'm not coming because I'm going after prostitutes. They don't say that. The man says, hey, um, actually, I bought a piece of land. I've got this new house, and I really need to pressure wash it this weekend. I can't come. Or I've got this yoke of oxen, which is to say, I have this business that I have to run, and so I really don't have time for that. Or the next one is, I have a wife, so I can't come. So then family becomes the good gift of God that actually keeps us from God and becomes a substitute for Him. This is what's so good about fasting, is that it reveals what controls our life and it reveals our deepest loves. What do we really love? Fasting has a powerful and good effect in that way. So, we don't want to be caught up by the good things and distracted from the Lord himself. Mark chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus is telling the parable of the soils. And he says that the seed that was sown among thorns is a seed that grew up. And then what happened? The cares of life. Not evil. Busy. How you doing, brother? Busy. How's it going, brother? Busy. What's happening in your life? Busy. Tired, but good. Come on, do we use this language? The cares of life. The pleasures of this age. Not evil. I like to play golf. Not, not on UB. <laughs> I like to play basketball. Not on UB. Um, I like to watch TV. I, it's nothing wrong with that. I just want to relax. It's okay. The, the, the pleasures of, of life. And the desires for other things. Creep in. It's really subtle. Super subtle. Brothers and sisters, like, can, can, you, can you hear my heart? I'm an American. I totally get this. But we have to be vigilant to make sure that the good gifts that God has given us don't become idols in our life that we prefer above him. We have to. We have to. I, it's not good preaching in the sense that it goes over. It's not. But it's so needful. Of all the things that we need to speak into as Americans, as prosperous Westerners, you go, I'm not prosperous. You are compared to somebody in any other part of the world virtually. It's not a guilt trip to be wealthy. All it is is a bigger stewardship to use it for the glory of God and not to let it get a hold of our heart. But we all have to have that checkup. This is one of the great benefits of fasting. It helps us to have a checkup when we're not eating. How many medicate with food? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand. but I think we all do to some degree, right? If you feel stressed out about something, do you want to go? Where do you go to? Where do you go to, B? Chocolate? Oh, 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 Andy's. What's that called? The concrete? See? Now, I've been there before, but, but they can testify I didn't get anything. I just watched them indulge. How's that true or false? Yeah. 
<laughs> oh! <laughs> it's actually a lot easier to, um, to restrain what you eat when they put the saws all on you and cut you in half. <laughs> like, they only have to do that to me once, and I'm like, I'll get, I'll get it. I get it. So, just saying... For us, like we need to be vigilant. This is one of the benefits, okay, of fasting. It's not the main or the biggest one, but we need to be aware that we struggle. Look, come on, let's be honest enough to go that we all struggle with this. It is in our face everywhere we go. I love air conditioner. I love my comfortable bed. I love my study that's loaded with books. Come on. But I have to do checkups in my heart all the time and go, God, it's not this thing. And you just say the word. Come on, we got to keep our stuff on the table. We have to. This is why giving is so liberating. You guys, I'm not talking about taking up an offering now, but this is so liberating. So for me, so many times in my life when I felt that kind of twinge, like, oh, I wouldn't want to get rid of that. I'm like, oh, I better get rid of that. Oh, I'm feeling pretty good about the number in my bank account. Oh, I better get out of my checkbook and start writing. For real. Because where is my citizenship? It's not in this life, and if it is, I'm in danger of my soul. This is one of the beauties of fasting. It takes us out of our comfort zone for a minute, and we feel hunger pangs, and it makes us analyze what controls us and what is our treasure. That's the beauty, part of the beauty of fasting. Fasting bridegroom fasting is what I call it because we're fasting for a person not for a thing bridegroom fasting is not self-powered discipline that tries to deserve more from God it is not begging God for what we need Christ focused fasting is the longing for more and more of his fullness to fill our lives and our world and it is believing that having more of the giver is always better than just having the gift. Come on, that's good preaching right there. It is believing that having more of the giver is always better than just having the gift. Like, we need to do this checkup a lot. This isn't the main part about the fasting, so, but it's definitely in the mix there. So Jesus says three main things in this passage. He shifts the issue of fasting from outward dedication and self-denial to delight in the person and the presence of the bridegroom. He takes away the old way of mourning. This is not a sorrowful, sad thing. This is an encounter with a person that we're seeking. We're seeking depth in our relationship with Jesus. And the third one is you can't mix the old and the new way of fasting we have to have a new paradigm for fasting. And the new paradigm is that Christ is the center. Like, this is what keeps us safe in our theology. Aberrant theology always goes astray because Jesus isn't right at the blazing center of it. Then you get caught up in all kinds of stuff that isn't the center. He is the center of everything. Read Paul. Read the book of Colossians one time. All you have to do is read it one time. Like, the Father's plan in verse 18 is that Jesus was the firstborn from the dead, in order that he might come to have first place, supremacy, and preeminence in everything. 
So this is easy. The Father is always working toward that goal. And in my life, he's always working toward that goal of Jesus being the center, the preeminent one, and the one who is treasured as the blazing center. That is Paul's theology. That is the theology of the New Testament. So when we go astray from Jesus being the center, if fasting becomes a thing in itself, do you know the disciples of John the Baptist, even though Jesus said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, there was a John the Baptist movement, like at this time that we just read here, John the Baptist was already in prison. His preaching ministry was over, and he was going to be beheaded really soon. But his followers continued until at least the end of the first century. So another 70 years, there were followers of John the Baptist running around. Paul found some of them in Acts chapter 19 when he went to Ephesus. He found some disciples there and said, Hey, um, have you received the Holy Spirit since you were, were saved? They go, Well, we never even heard if there was a Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? He goes, Oh. Well, what kind of baptism were you baptized into? Because if you had been baptized into Christian baptism, you would have heard of the Holy Spirit because we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were disciples of John. He said, oh, John preached the baptism of repentance, but the whole point of it was to point to Jesus. But there's something attractive about being in the dedicated in-group that really does it. Really dedicated. You have, to, you have to shake when you say that. Really dedicated. Okay. You're so dedicated. You fast twice a week. Oh, wow. But is it about us or is it about him? Is it about us getting the applause of men? And that's Jesus' point in Matthew 6, right? Don't go around like you're, you're going to get the applause of men. What, what are you doing? You're missing the whole point. Do it to your father in secret. It's not about people knowing. You say, well, we shouldn't have a corporate fast and people will know we'll fast. The issue is not that people know you're fasting. The issue is whether you want people to know you're fasting. That's the issue. We have a new focus in fasting. Here's the new focus. This is the new wineskin. Connection to Jesus. Connection to Jesus. That's what we're doing when we're fasting. We, we go into his presence to see what he wants to do, and we partner with that. We're going to see that in Acts chapter 13, if I have enough time to get there. The connection with Jesus is the place of fruitfulness, right? Anybody ever read John chapter 15? I'm the vine and you are the branches. Anyone who abides in me, what happens? He bears much fruit because the life that is in the vine goes through our scrawny little branch. How many got a scrawny little branch? All right, yeah, I feel that way too. We all feel that way sometimes. Like, Lord, what's wrong with my branch? Right? Why isn't there more sap flowing through? And if there is, why isn't there more fruit? I mean, I come on. We, the problem is, I think, one of the problems is, or one of the issues is, we don't connect maybe often enough in that way to where there's a flow of life from Jesus into us that produces fruit. 
So connectivity is the new focus. We're going there to connect with Jesus. Connect, can I tell you, connection is the place of faith, right? I ran in circles for years. That didn't sound right, like I was chasing my tail. Probably did that too. But I ran with a group for a long time, for years, where the idea and the language that was used about faith is it was like the, fourth, the force in Star Wars. If you just use your force... You can cause anything to happen. May the force be with you. Come on, brother, just eat some more. Get, get some more force. And you, that's not what faith is. Faith is a relationship of trust in one that you know is reliable and their word is solid. And you connect with that. And it's a personal issue. Faith is a personal issue. You go, well, fasting is, it causes the power to be released because Jesus said... It's only by prayer and fasting that this kind comes out. Here we go. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm into it now. So two things. One, one is, most modern translations, most all of them, don't include the phrase fasting in there. It was probably added by the scribes because they were very zealous for fasting. Okay. But even if that's there, that's in Mark's account. Matthew's account he says, when he explains why they couldn't cast out the demon, right? You remember the story, right? They came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. This man's son was, had an epilepsy, evidently was demon-possessed. They would throw him in the fire, throw him in the water, try to kill him constantly. And the disciples couldn't cast it out. Jesus comes down and said, oh, how long am I going to be with you? Unbelieving generation. That kind of stings when he says that to you. But... In Matthew, when Jesus explains to the disciples why they couldn't cast it out, you know, they're perplexed, like they're embarrassed. But they're like, we did this before. In chapter 10, you gave us authority over evil spirits, and we went out there and we cast them out, and they came right out. They were just more compliant devils. They weren't so self-willed. And Jesus said in Matthew, the reason is the littleness of your faith. So even if you say that the prayer and the fasting thing was the reason, Jesus said prayer, okay, the, the issue there is not that you did some kind of austere thing where you didn't eat food, but that your relational aspect was lacking. You, you, you weren't walking in a place of closeness and connect, get, get the word connection, connection to the Father to where His authority could flow through you to do the bigger thing. The connection is all important. It's not that we learn a thing or read a book about the authority of the believer and then we're going out and we're going to... Like, that's not it. You can know the thing up here. How many have experienced this? I have lots of times. You can know the thing up here, but you have to have the connection right here that's real and it's alive and it comes through you. And this is what fasting helps us do. Because we're going in there with undistracted focus saying, you are my treasure, you're the bridegroom, I'm delighting in your presence, and I need to connect with you because fruitfulness is impossible without you. And so here I come, let me be fruitful, let your life flow in me and produce fruit. And in that secret place of focused time with Jesus, that's what fasting is, right? We're laying aside other things that are good, right? When we're fasting, we're not denying something that's bad, right? We're not giving up our cocaine habit. We're, we're giving up food. 
Food is good. So we can glorify God in at least two ways with our food. The first way is whenever we receive it, we can go, God, you're so good. Thank you for this food. It's amazing. Right, Mick? And the second way is we can put it aside and say, Lord, I'm going to put this good thing aside so that I can have the better thing of being with you undistracted. I'm going to connect with you. Let your life flow in me. You see, you see the difference? This is a different paradigm. This is the New Testament, New Covenant Christian paradigm for what fasting is. It's a way to become less distracted. It's also a way to be able to examine our hearts. But it's a way to connect with Jesus in maybe a more pure way because it's very focused. So it's powerful. So faith comes from relationship. That's what it comes from. It doesn't come automatically because you don't eat food. It comes from connecting with Jesus. And so we have a new focus. Our focus is what? Connecting. Connecting. All right, come on. You know, you're not going to make me preach that whole point again, right? Okay. It's connecting with Jesus. It's that, it's that relational connection. That is what produces faith. How many have felt your lack of faith in God when you came into crisis experiences before? No, come on. It's just, it's just the four of us here? For real? No, dude, I feel it all the time. But this is normal. But look, normal Christianity is supernatural. It's a connection to the living God who actually lives his life through us. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It's no longer I that live. Oh, really? You don't live anymore? No, it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the Christian life. It's supernatural. It's somebody else inhabiting your body and living through you. It's not zombies. This is heaven coming to earth through human flesh. And he needs hands and feet to do what he wants. All right, we have a new focus. We also have a new starting place. What do I mean by that? Listen, so important. For, for the Jewish mindset, they're largely fasting to try to curry God's favor, try to show him how dedicated they are and how much they really want this. I'm not saying that's wrong in and of itself, but it's not powerful. Our starting place is with what the bridegroom has already accomplished for us. What has he already accomplished for us? Well, the Bible says that he has lavished us with his grace. I love that word lavish. You don't lavish with a teaspoon. What do you lavish with? A bucket! He lavishes grace upon us in his son. His heart towards us is huge, towards his people. I'm going to read a few verses out of Romans 8, which you're very familiar with. You can turn there if you want, but listen to this. 
This is where our starting point is when we're fasting. We're not begging God, please do this thing that you don't really want to do, but you can see how desperate I am and how much I'm sacrificing. Please do that thing. That's not what fasting is. We start from this point. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In Christ Jesus, when you came and bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, he became 100% for you. That means that all, that doesn't mean he gives us everything we want. That means he does what is best for us and that he's moving us in the direction of conforming us into the image of his son. It's beautiful. He's for us. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You don't have to beg him to do what he wants to do. We just have to connect. His blood has washed away every sin. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Come on, you want an intercessory prayer team? I will say Jesus intercedes for us through his body, for sure. But he's also at the right hand of the Father. He's not withholding any good thing from us. He gave his own son. And he says in that, that's such a powerful verse. What else would I withhold from you? I gave you my son. You don't think I'm going to give you a dollar for a Coke? You don't think I'm going to help you in this situation? I gave you my son. This is the starting point that we fast with in the new covenant. We don't go there thinking we're going to somehow beg God and impress him with our dedication and how much we're sacrificing for him. Can I tell you, the one who went to the cross and took the sin of the world upon himself is not impressed with our sacrifice? doesn't mean we don't sacrifice for him, but we do it. Because he lives in us and he gives us the grace. This is the genius of the new covenant. Everything that happens in us and through us that's good, God actually is working it in us himself. So we get the credit for what we didn't do. He's going to end up rewarding us for what he actually did in us and through us on the day of judgment. This is insane. But he gets the glory because we recognize I could never in a billion years of fasting till all the meat fell off of my bones. I could never accomplish one thing that you've done. This is grace. This is where we start. We start with his grace. We recognize that he is for us. We are going to connect with the bridegroom because we want to know what he wants. Lord, we want you to put inside of us your desires so that we can give you what you want. That's why we exist. Everything was created for his pleasure, right? That's us. Acts chapter 13. I want to show you Fasting in 
the New Testament believers, after the bridegroom had left, what, what they did. There's not very many instances where we see inside of a fast in the New Testament. There's actually only a couple in the book of Acts, one in chapter 13, one in chapter 14. I think it's really significant, but I want to show you what happens when this is our heart, when we're connecting with a person and we're wanting to get his heart and his desire and partner with him in that coming. Acts 13, verses 1 through 4. Now the word Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, you, you see how that goes together? What do you suppose they were doing when they were ministering to the Lord? What were they, what were they doing? They're worshiping, they're praying, they're pouring out their hearts, they're connecting with Him. And fasting. Why were they fasting? Because they were setting aside a specific time to focus and not to be distracted. And to say, Lord, I hunger for you more than I hunger for that smoothie that I'm picturing in my mind right now. Smoothie King. I see myself driving in like more than I want that Greasy hamburger and greasy french fries. This is the way I learned to talk to myself, so I don't want that stuff, right? I want you. Even though my belly is hungry, I'm coming here to connect with you. And I'm just saying by this act, you are my treasure. You are more desirable to me than even my food. It's powerful. And so, they're ministering to the Lord and fasting, and in that atmosphere, the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit spoke something. What did He say? Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then when they had fasted and prayed again, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. So then being sent out, who were they sent out by? Being sent out by the Holy Spirit. What is better than that? They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. This might be the most consequential and powerful fasting that's ever happened in the history of mankind. You go, oh, no, I know times where there's mighty miracle. No, 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 you don't get it. The ramifications of this are enormous for the whole world, of this one time together of these brothers seeking the Lord, ministering to Him and fasting. What happened out of that meeting? They're trying to figure out, Lord, what are you wanting to do in the church? Like, what's our next thing? I mean, I'm sure they knew what happened in chapter 10 where Peter went to Cornelius' house and the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles there before, and they're speaking with tongues before they're even water baptized. 
He, they probably knew that, but they go, well, what does all this mean? What, what is all this supposed to be for? And when they're getting together, seeking the face of God, notice what they're seeking. They're like, Lord, we want to connect with you, with your heart. We don't take our agenda to the Lord, and then all of a sudden we're strong-arming him because we're fasting. Oh, well, they're fasting. I guess I have to do that. Nonsense. His heart is already 100% for us. What we're trying to do is to connect with his heart and say, what do you want here? That's what I want. And they're finding out. And in that atmosphere, the Holy Spirit speaks and said, I want Saul, Barnabas, sending you guys out to preach the gospel to the Gentiles all around. And so he sends them out. And out of that comes, think of all the things that happened there. They began to evangelize the entire Gentile world. The gospel spread like wildfire in 250 years. Christianity had overshadowed and swallowed up the Roman Empire. It's phenomenal. And you know all of the 13 letters that Paul wrote in this Bible came out of their journey going out there, planting churches and writing those letters, instructing them how to live for Jesus in the midst of a dark and crooked generation. And we get the benefit. How much impact have the letters of Paul had on the world? How much impact has the power of Jesus demonstrated in taking over the entire Roman Empire and bringing the Gentiles, sweeping them in in waves into the kingdom? Like, this is historically monumental, what happened out of just this one meeting of brothers gathered together, seeking the face of the Lord, focused on the connection with their fasting and letting God speak. And out of that, transformation happened on an unbelievable level. And it's, it's reached us. Have you ever read the letters of Paul and they shook you down to your, your core? I have a lot of times. Fasting is beautiful because it is a means, not the only means. It is a means of connecting on a deeper level with Jesus. Letting his life, his wisdom, his desires flow into us. It's focused and it's powerful. So what are we doing this week? We're fasting. You know, like Brandon said, we have no desire to, to coerce anybody to fast with us. But we're inviting you into this corporate seeking of God because we do have needs. Yes. We're not denying that there's needs in this body. There are. And our heart is moved. But it's the Lord who's moving our hearts. It really is. All of us feel it. Like there's way too much sickness that's going on here. What are we doing? Are we making this up? Is this our own agenda that we want God to sweep in and begin to bring healing on a, on a bigger and a larger, much larger scale? No. He wrote it in his word, right? Ever read James chapter 5? He actually put this in his word. Like this is what normal Christianity looks like in my church. If anyone among you, anyone, anyone, anybody, anyone is sick, let him call for the elders, for the church, 
and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick, will heal the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. This is normative Christianity. Because the verses right before that, if you read, this is James chapter 5, you want to start reading verse 13. Is anybody going through a hard time? Let him pray. How unusual is that? Anybody ever go through a hard time and pray? Yeah, this is normal, right? Is anyone joyful and happy? God's blessed you. He's given you a promotion. He's given you a new house. He's blessed you with a new car, which is worth as much as a house now. Um, let him rejoice and give thanks to God. This is not abnormal Christianity. This is normal. And the very next phrase is anyone again sick. Healing is the children's bread. Healing is supposed to be normative in the body of Jesus Christ. It really is. And so far, if we can just be honest, like, it hasn't been. And we're not okay with that. And so we're like, Lord, where's the disconnect? Here, here we go back to fasting. Let's come back to the connection. What, what, what's happened with the connection? Maybe there's something that we need to see. Maybe there's something that needs to get cleared up. Maybe there's some heart issues. Maybe, maybe there's issues with me. Maybe there's issues with us that we need to get straightened out. But we want to find out because it's not okay that Jesus is not having his way in this body. It's not okay that brothers and sisters are suffering. I was at a good, one of my, one of my very best friends house last night. We, he was my first Christian friend when I got saved as a teenager. He and his wife and Diane and I were in the same youth group in Assembly God Church in Danbury, Connecticut when we were teenagers. He and I sang together, ministered minister together a lot. We came down to Southeastern together and were roommates together. He was the best man in my wedding and I was the best man in his wedding. And they still live in Lakeland today. And this morning at 427, he went to be with Jesus after a battle with liver cancer. And I'm jealous of him, but also long for Jesus to be able to glorify himself and show his mightiness in this generation, in this city, and come. It only takes a touch. It only takes touching the hem of his garment. He's got so much power and so much anointing. It only takes touching his clothes. And incurable diseases vanish and go away. I've read about it. You probably have. I've heard incredible testimonies. I've seen a few things. But in my heart, I'm jealous for the glory of Jesus. And Honestly, I love you guys. I grieve over it when I see it in this body. I can't be okay with it. So I'm inviting you. We're inviting you as an eldership team. Partner with us as a family. Let, let's go to the bridegroom. Make that connection. Maybe he'll give one of you a dream or a vision or an angel or just a word of wisdom that can unlock all kinds of doors. I would delight in that way more than if he appeared to me with an angel, honestly. 
I love it when Jesus takes the most unlikely people and uses them powerfully. And they're like, what just happened? It's so good. Everybody knows that was the Lord. That wasn't the mighty man of faith and power. That was the Lord. Maybe you're the person that he wants to connect with and whisper in your ear, your heart, that something that could unlock what he wants to do here. This isn't a question mark. We know he wants to do this because he wrote it in his word very plainly. This is the children's bread. This is my inheritance for my people. And we're, we're, we're going to seek him and make connections. So we invite you to join with us as a body. Let's find out what the issues are. Let's make that faith connection, that relational connection. And let's let Jesus have his way in this place. The Lord wants to do so much more. You know, our motto, one of our mottos is, there is more. For sure that's real. There's so much more that the Lord wants to do in our midst. We just need to connect with that life source and let him do what he wants to do. Let's bow. Let's recommit ourselves to the process with Jesus. Lord, we belong to you. We're your people. We don't belong to ourselves. This is your church. You've put your name on it. We belong to Jesus. Would you come? Would you connect hearts to you, even this week, with greater sensitivity, with greater focus, than we've had in a while. Lord, whatever the hindrance is, whatever that veil is that's, that's hindering you from doing what you have already purchased and desire to do, and that your compassion is flowing out towards your people, would you break that veil? Would you help us to connect with you as a people in such a way that you pierce that veil and that you break in and do what you have said you want to do. We want your name to be magnified in our lives, in this body, in this city, in this county, in this state, and in this nation, and in this world. We want your name to be made much of. We want your name to be hallowed, rightly treasured and honored, rightly loved and adored. Your name, Lord, be the name and the only name. And so we ask you to help us. Help us, Father. Draw us and have your way. And we pray that your name would be hallowed, that your kingdom would come, and that your will would be done above everything else that we ask. We want you to have your way and to get what you desire. We are your people, Lord. We want this. We're inviting you now. We'll, part, we'll partner with you however you say. We recommit and re-up our connection to you and our desire to connect to you better. Would you continue to search our hearts to get rid of anything that's a hindrance, even during these days of fasting? Lord, would you shine your light 
in your loving and redemptive way and show us things that need to be thrown out? Show us things that are a hindrance to us. Would you show us those things that we can have the right heart attitudes, the right motives, and that you can do everything that you want to do? In Jesus' name.